This is the At 530 on Main podcast. I'm Sean Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS Architecture, an expert on creating physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. Welcome to At 530 on Main. Sunny day here in Evansville, Indiana. Still hasn't turned to uh, hot yet. We have the uh, breezy 60s today in Evansville. At 530 on Main is located. We air this or record this here at at 530 on Main, Evansville, Indiana, um, with our partner, Extend Group's partner, VPS Architecture. Uh, my partner in all things good over there, Mike Davis. Good morning. Good morning. We have some special guests in here today, don't we? Yeah, we always do. Hey. <laughs> you know what? We actually went from, we've actually upped our game. We have four in the room today. It's not our standard three, not one person sitting next to Mike and one across from me. We actually have two. We have George Link from VPS Architecture. Good George. morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well today. Doing yeah. Well today. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, really look forward to the conversation. And uh, the guest that we have in here today, awesome track record of success. And when we talk about next gen, uh, really is leading next generation, leading that education initiative there. So we have Dr. Brent Comer. He is the superintendent of Mitchell Community Schools. Dr. Brent Comer is a lifelong Hoosier with a professional career that spans over 26 years working in rural Indiana school districts. Uh, his teaching career began at Jennings County High School and has held school administration roles at both the elementary and secondary levels. He has served as the assistant superintendent of Mitchell Community Schools before he began their current superintendent role for the past three years there. As the superintendent at Mitchell Community Schools, Dr. Comer's current role allows him to be a part of a team of leaders that is redefining educational opportunities for students. Now, he has multiple degrees, and, and I really want him to talk about that education journey himself, and he's also the founder of GKG Consulting, and he is the proud husband of Pam, father of 19-year-old twins. I'm sure that's an experience. <laughs> Grant, a freshman at Purdue University, majoring in ag business. And Kinley, a freshman at Ball State University, majoring in elementary education. And 12-year-old Gabby. Welcome to App 530 on Main. Thank you. Great to be here. It's a great drive from Scott County, Indiana on a, on a beautiful morning <laughs> for once to get to drive over. So thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so um, we talked a little bit before I hit the record button about Ball State, where you uh, studied there. Tell us a little bit about your education journey. Yeah, it started at, at the Harvard of the Midwest, the greatest university in, in <laughs> maybe all of the world, Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and had a great experience there and, and uh, 
went for telecommunications originally and uh, fought the teacher bug for years after so many, like we still do today, people try to talk young people out of going into education and finally realized that telecommunications program was phenomenal at Ball State, but realized that's not where my passion was. It was working with kids and, and trying to do something a little different in school. And based on my own school experience, I thought school could be redefined and should be different. And I thought the only probably way to do that is to get in the trenches and, and redefine <laughs> it. There were enough books written and papers on how it should change. And I think it needed people to get in there and actually make the change necessary. So switched to education. I had a great experience at Ball State. Uh, then received my first teaching job at James County High School, which was a, an incredible experience. Probably the best professional experience of my life was getting to teach with that group of teachers at that time and, and being allowed to, to learn and to grow at, at that school was really, really impressive and owe that to the, to the department that I was in and also the administrators of that corporation at the time too. And too, too lengthy to mention, I'm afraid I'll embarrass myself and forget someone. And then <laughs> Chose a couple years after to go back and get my master's degree and, and principal's license at IU Southeast in New Albany, Indiana, and then uh, went into the principal world where I had dual citizenship of, of 10 years each in both the elementary level and the, and the secondary level as being principal, and it was very fortunate, and, and uh, most, most people in my field don't get that opportunity. To have to get to see both sides of, of K-12 education, both the elementary and the secondary, and and both were equally important and, and equally fun, but both were very different on how you manage and, and what was going on in those buildings, and and then chose to take a hard road of receiving my or earning my PhD from Indiana State, with no aspiration whatsoever of ever going into central office because I always felt that took me too far away from kids and working with teachers, and then just uh, as life kind of happens, it just kind of worked out, and, and I'm enjoying this role much more than I thought I would. That's amazing. So on that journey, was there a, a mentor or an individual that really helped shape where that path out of, you know, instead of that communications, like this, you have a calling? Yeah, I, I think at the time there there was a there was a gentleman at Ball State named Dr. Strauss, John Strauss, who was long story long winded story short, he and my father grew up together, just connecting farms and and my dad stayed on the farm and Dr. Strauss went to head the education department at Ball State and and my I think my father was more worried about me than I was worried because I was enjoying Ball State quite a bit and so he yeah. called his old friend Dr. Strauss to to check in on me at times and okay. through, and through that mentoring realized that teaching is what I wanted to do. And Dr. Strauss really started that career of, of uh, seeing that, boy, you can make a change. It's not going to be easy, but you can, you can help change a new definition to school and make it something different. But you got to get in there and do it. You can't just you know, philosophize on the side. You need to get in the trenches and, and get going. And then there were, there were so many others. Uh, Terry McDaniel from Indiana State has been a constant mentor through through the second half of my career and you know Terry's not only the kind of educator I want to be but probably more of the kind of man that I want to eventually be just a, an incredible human being that is and I'm sure if you had many other superintendents in Indiana set here I think Terry would be on the Mount Rushmore of a lot of different superintendents in Indiana so I love the I want to get in and roll up my sleeves mentality that you kind of touched on briefly of like I don't want to ride like I want to get in and change people's where's that come from where's that drive I, I think it comes from my own experience of student um, was an extremely probably crippling shy kid I mastered the art of uh, not being seen I mastered that ninja like art of not being seen in the school. <laughs> 
um, with some obvious, I think some definite learning disabilities caused a lot of that shyness and didn't want to look foolish in front of others. And, and the part of my, my own K-12 experience had wonderful people as teachers, but never once did anybody say, hey, there's something not right. There's something, are you okay? Is there something wrong? We expect more of you. I was that quiet, nice kid that, that, that was in the shadows a lot. And I thought, boy, there's a lot. As I got older, I realized, boy, there was a lot of us out there and i thought boy school needs school needs to change yeah and and uh we're doing that i think at mitchell awesome awesome i love that um so you talked about growing up it sounds like uh rural community you're on the farm yep so how has that shaped you being in mitchell and being able to connect with those around you. Yeah, I think I think the rural experience of, of growing up on that farm and still raising a family on the same family farm is now, and, I, and just my journey, whether by choice or by the universe, I've always worked in rural located schools, had opportunities to do something different. And I know there's, there's great opportunities at, whether we're talking suburban or urban type schools, I've just really found I can speak rural. I, I understand rural, and I think a lot of that comes with, there, there's a certain chip on the shoulder when you grow up rural. Yeah. You know, there's there's that chip of we don't deserve certain things. We're we're not entitled to certain things. Certain futures can't be ours. We hear about them, but they but they can't be ours. You know, and I thought, boy, that's there. That's the, the an untapped territory, right? An unexplored territory. I think is rural, not only rural communities, but rural education. Yeah. I think that's that's really an, an area we've not really developed well enough, and it's it's been an area that's been overlooked for a long, long time. Awesome. So through that journey, you uh, teacher go into the assistant superintendent role, right? Yeah. How how it how was that transition from in the classroom to actually being the assistant of that, that's and, that's tough, right? You go you go from overnight. I tell young principals all the time. You go if you if you become an administrator in the building which you taught in in literally a board vote you go from one of us to one of them yeah quickly <laughs> right i mean there's just a different atmosphere in the teachers lounge there's a different atmosphere because you're 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 in a different position and you know i was talking to a group of of principals last week and they were talking about walk up songs you know they have how the kids if you play softball or baseball yeah. they have a walk up song and they were talking about what their walk up song was and they said you know Brent what would your walk up song be without never thought about that before but this ages me right that that great white i think it was white snake song right of here i go again on my own <laughs> you know and they just clicks like yeah that's been the theme of my professional career forever is just that here i go again you know i see something different and knowing it's that jerry Maguire moment right of yeah who's coming with who's me coming and oftentimes i didn't have the goldfish or the one secretary that said let's <laughs> go it was it was just a journey that i had to go myself but to your point well it's it's a tough transition it's really really a difficult one yeah and then uh sounds like uh in where we're at today i'm looking at your website right here and it looks like uh mitchell uh, community schools, it's uh, thriving. We we are thriving, and I'm I'm so glad you used that word when when COVID hit. Not not that we ever want to do a pandemic again. Probably one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Myself and a group of leaders decided we weren't just going to survive during the COVID. We were going to literally thrive. We were going to figure out a way. We knew there'd be learning loss. We knew there'd be some other things, but we've got to figure out. We're not just going to sit back and and just ride this out. We're going to keep initiatives going. We're going to keep moving, and that that was at first a very bumpy, difficult road. Uh, paid off for us at the end. Yeah. And, and that I think that that thrive mentality of the school also started spreading into our rural community of Mitchell. 
I think it, Mitchell's just such a lovely little, I think, typical rural southern Indiana town, right? I think it's it's kind of almost cookie cutter to dozens of, of similar towns. But the, the town needed to realize we don't just have to survive anymore either. We can we can be different. We can evolve and, and be something something better and, and thrive in that moment. And, and I'm really, really proud. I think the schools have definitely kick-started that, that idea of at least that belief that we could be something better and not just try to hang on and watch the buildings crumble and just literally become extinct. So what was something that popped up during COVID uh, in education that um, you didn't expect and you think will continue on? Here's, here's a benefit, right? We, I talk with people all the time. If you look back through history, the, the, the greatest, most world-changing inventions typically came after a time of struggle. Right. You know, whether we talk war or famine or, or an economic depression or, uh, you know, climate, whatever, you know, you can, you can look back and say, boy, that started because people had to figure a way to survive and, yeah. and not just in order to thrive, actually. So one of the things that we were very fortunate on, we were a year or two ahead of most people on the virtual learning platform. So that kind of set us up for that thrive mode. Okay. What, what the cool thing we found, I think the pandemic forced us to look at that virtual piece and that technology piece of teaching and learning and really see the extreme value in that. And I think we're finally really seeing that, you know, for, for an example, one of the things I'm most proud of at Mitchell is we have literally almost a, a course catalog that you can't put a number to. Yeah. That, that we can offer, you know, 15, 16 graduation pathways, you know, for, for kids of, of a 1,470 kid district, the most large urban districts can't touch that. And part of that is our embracing of the virtual setting. Part of that is realizing that that with the teacher shortage, not everyone has to find a licensed French teacher because mm -hmm. number one, they're not out there. But if you can find one or two and you can let those kids participate in that in a virtual setting, and it's not the kids that have an issue we found quickly. It's we adults that had the issue with virtual learning. The kids the kids knew that. That was that was their comfort zone. So I think if anything from the pandemic, one of a true blessing, if you can say out of something that was tragic, is that we're seeing the value and the real worth and, and the I don't think we've even begun to tap the potential of virtual. I think it's a definite game changer, not only K twelve but in learning period. I think it's gonna be a redefinition of school. So with the virtual, is that in a like a recorded like LMS or that is a virtual course from a you know a, a work from wherever yeah, instructor one both okay uh, long-winded answer your question yeah. you know it was already there that we for lack of a better phrase that that can teaching yeah that recorded teaching that others had done that and we're doing it well and i think there's definitely appropriate times where that's that's beneficial that's the appropriate mode of of instruction and learning yeah one thing we did find out from the pandemic though e kids still needed to feel connected 100%. Kids to, and, and to be very blunt, teachers needed to feel connected to the kids. And that, and that can mode, they couldn't do that. So we, I think the real trend that we're seeing is beneficial. It's kind of a blended model of both yeah. to where students can independently learn through, for lack of a better phrase, that canned model of instruction, but also have times to interact and check in, not only with the instructor, but other kids that are other parts of the state, other parts of the country are able to discuss and, and collaborate together on this on the tip whatever the topic is of the lesson. So I love that in that it it sounds as though I mean you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Mitchell Community Schools, like the students, are able to connect with a much wider base and correct. a greater knowledge base that could be, you know, not just statewide 
but could be countrywide. And you're Absolutely. bringing in talent from around the country to educate Mitchell instead of we have to bring them to Mitchell to then educate Right, and, and, and that's, that's, that's a big struggle, I don't think just Mitchell-specific, but rural yeah. in general, is getting people to understand the world is for us, too, that we, that we have the opportunity to have the right for the rest of the world. And I think that's a curious, you know, with almost three decades in knowing rural and growing up in rural, I think that's a real underlying issue with rural, is that we don't know that, one, we're invited, mm. and two, that even if we were invited, are we really welcome? Yeah. To certain, whether you're talking professions or experiences or whatever. And, and so if, if our kids can't get out of Mitchell, I'm bringing the world into Mitchell. Yeah. And, and getting them to realize that, that they do have a right to these things. I love that. I was going to say the other opposite is like rule was always you had to go somewhere else. Right. Yeah. To get whatever right. you wanted. Right? right. Now you don't. Right. As much you can even be working for companies in California if oh, you're in the absolutely. right profession and not even be leave your hometown and and i think that makes it easier for that that was always a struggle right your your grow up rule mm-hmm. oh, i gotta go to indianapolis to get xyz yeah yep. even in evansville it's still indianapolis yeah, chicago big, bigger city so and i think taking that away helps but i was going to ask you because my wife's a teacher it's like bringing teachers how do you convince teachers to come to Mitchell because you're competing with all the other schools, right? For these yeah, graduates, yeah, we, we've been we've been extremely fortunate, and the, and the only answer I have to, to for that is with teacher shortage everywhere, and especially if you want to put licensed teachers in certain specific areas, and, and even the secondary is the most struggling, because those are specific licenses at right. the secondary level. What we're finding is it's interesting looking at the generations, right, of teachers, and and what we're finding with the younger generations as a whole is one they don't have brand loyalty. Right, they don't have brand loyalty to a community. They don't have brand loyalty to the organization that gave them their first job. They are more about the feel. Yeah. Uh, we have also found something interesting: superstars, especially teachers, superstars want to work with other superstars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, but the caveat to that, they want to work in a superstar culture as well. They want. So we spend probably an an extreme amount of time, more than anything else, is really focused on the culture of our district. Yeah. We want to make sure a culture not only is built to where not only do the teachers feel they have a say, but they're also noticed, they're also appreciated, and we also listen to them. That doesn't mean teachers get to make every decision for the corporation, but it's to be heard, right? And oftentimes the teachers have the right ideas. They, they're the ones that know. That's, uh, man, you're speaking my jam there, that, uh, <laughs> Dr. Comer. Uh, we uh, here often like to say, you know, as a marketing group, uh, first and foremost, people always came to us and said, hey, be the attraction for us. Be the top of the funnel for us. Be the top of the funnel for us. Hey, you know, discovery phase, discovery phase, you know, get us to the conversion, get us to the conversion. But um, after many years, found that without that culture, huh. that attraction never works. So we've right. kind of flipped it to say retention equals attraction. And you yep. have to have, number one, you have to have a community that believes, but you have to have teachers first that believe number one in themselves and the team and the group that you have and if they're not happy that obviously translates to you and then it translates to the parents and and it's 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 read as brand you know evangelist negative right where we want to be brand evangelist positive you know and if you're tell me a little bit about your journey and how you're keeping 
that leadership internally excited to be at Mitchell and how that's positively been, how's it been uh, impacted in the community? How's it been read yeah, there? Yeah, I, I think it's my, my assistant superintendent, which I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jessica Jones, who's, who's probably the hands down the best assistant superintendent, if definitely in southern Indiana, probably the country. Uh, she's tremendous. And we, we talk a lot about our co-leadership of the district. Mm-hmm. And, and this year, it's been interesting watching how my role has changed in the four years of leadership just within the district, which I think is a compliment to the culture and the work of the other leaders, too. And, you know, to be honest, I became I shifted from assistant superintendent to superintendent pretty much the week before kids were supposed to come back year of COVID. Yeah. And as as my board likes to remind me, and I tell them, too, at the time, I was best of no choices. Right. They, I, I was the I was it for them. And uh, the board's been wonderful to work with, and, and they've been a tremendous part of the success of the district, too, because they've allowed leaders to lead and been yeah. supportive of, of the leaders. So I, I, can't, I can't say enough about the board and the work that they've done for that. But, you know, it's interesting looking just specifically at Mitchell, that journey, where at first, you know, Jesse even talks about, I was dragging the district. You know, I was literally putting all ropes around me, and we are moving. We are going to Thrive World. Right. And I get it that everyone's in trauma. I get that we're struggling. I get it. I get it. Me too. Yeah. Right. But we're going to get there to where I'm now able to go in, and, and every meeting that we had, every workshop we had, every bit of PD, every opening year speech, every end of the year speech was my narrative. It was me, 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 me all the time, maybe because I wanted to hear myself talk, as others say, but also I wanted to make sure the consistent same message was always going out, that this is who we are and this is where we're moving, to where now, through great hires, through great work of my principals and other leaders, and especially teacher leaders in the district, which, if anything, if you really had to define Mitchell as the teaching core, it's it's comprised of teacher leaders. We don't just have teachers anymore. They are teacher leaders not within their classroom, but their hallway or their building or their department, they are moving the district. But I get to move now to where I can go in and out of meetings to where I know my voice is, is it's the same words, it's the same message from the other leaders, from the other teacher leaders. And it's so nice now transitioning into a position of providing support instead of pulling. Yeah. You know, pushing is so much more easier, especially if you're going downhill. Pushing yeah. is a piece of cake. And and very, very fortunate. And the, and the challenge for that is we have momentum. We talk about that in the district all the time, right? Yeah. From the old coaching standpoint, momentum in athletic it's so hard to build momentum in a ball game, for example. But once you get it, don't let up. Keep the momentum going because if you take a break, if you take a quarter off, if you give a couple innings – it's yeah. hard to get momentum started again. So we're constantly talking about how do we keep momentum. And the cool thing about the momentum, you know, we've had initiative after initiative after initiative. So as we're, as we're launching one initiative, we're pre-launching another, right? So mm-hmm. we're making sure we don't, we don't have that lag time. We've got to keep, keep evolving, keep the momentum. So with some of the small business leaders that I coach, you know, that transition often comes as that like celebratory moment of I'm at the top, I'm the Mm. boss and like everybody's going to come with me. Right. And you know what that looks like. And I'm sure I've seen it in your professional career. And you know, they're like, Oh, I'm going to give them the responsibility, but not the authority to make Mm. the decision. Right. So we talk about how the transition from, you know, operator to owner is is one that does take some transition because typically the ones that get to the front are a small majority of the population just by nat, you know natural wiring. So how how have you been able to 
like as you say speak from the front and really pull them into the future with you and then go this is my vision this is where we're going this is the momentum we have and then really go okay this is now you have the responsibility and then give them the authority yeah. to not to be in the room with them to make some of those key decisions because that's the challenge that I think a lot of our listeners have is we get here but when I'm out of the room what happens well it's two things Rhett's it's it's trust and failure yeah right so it takes we worked really hard we meaning myself and the other leaders of the district of building trust in one another Right. They had to trust me, and I had to trust them. And that you can't do that in one speech. You can't do that. That's years of proving that the trust is real, right? And I'll, probably the bigger thing, that part of that trust journey is you've got to have a culture starting with the top down that, that failure is okay. Yeah. Fa- failure is not an end, right? And we talk all the time about it in the district that, that we're, we're process-focused and not outcome-focused. You know, we, we never set goals of, like, we want to reach this number, or we want this many kids with this certain score, or we want to see X number of whatever. You know, we're constantly focused on the process, and the key part of that process is allowing people to know we don't we don't encourage failure necessarily, but when failure happens, it's never the end story, right? It's just the next chapter closer to that end finale chapter of major success. And, and through my own personal journey, right, we, we talked about experience and some other things. Man, my, my career is based on failure, it is based on, and, and whether it was my DNA or my dad or my grandmother or whatever, for some reason, failure, I never saw failure as the end. It was just, okay, I got I to get up. I got to keep, I got to keep moving, yeah. you know, in, mm-hmm. the, in the right direction. I think, I think, too, so being able to step away is I trust my people, right? And, and that's, that's hard, right? And I've got to realize sometimes if it doesn't look or sound like I would want it to look, as long as the process is right and it's getting towards that, that outcome someday we want to get, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and even if they fail, I then, I'm so blessed, I get to be in that supportive failure role now. Right? Okay, you just, that really bombed. What do we need to do the next time? Because you're going to relaunch it. Yeah. You know, you don't get to say, well, failure was the, the end credit cut scene. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're we got to, it's a new take. We're going to do another take. And what are you learning from the failure? And you, and you move on. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about, well, I'm curious because you're talking about your team, right? You're uh-huh. talking about teachers and and your team and how you're getting there. There's another piece of that buy-in, which is parents and students yeah. and getting them to buy in too, because without that, you know, everything's linked together, right? And yeah. you can be selling the Ferrari of schools, but if teachers and if the kids and the parents are like, no, no, that's not real. It's a smoke show, right? Yeah. It, it's and it's funny you say that. We talk about that all the time. Uh, not any kind of pushback. Buy-in is not the issue. Buy-in is easy. Mm-hmm. I could buy in this group of four guys quickly, mm-hmm. right? Like, would everybody like to have a million dollars? Everybody would say, yes. In teacher world, wouldn't everyone love better classroom management? Wouldn't yeah. everyone love to be reading at or above grade level? Every hand will go up. The, the issue is commitment to, right? So right. we say, okay, everybody's bought in. Now, here's what we got to do to do that. You're going to have to go through more PD. You've got to change the way you're doing things. You may be teaching something you've never taught before. You've got to, and in the community, community, I know this is the way it's been when you were in school and your grandparents were in school, <laughs> but you've bought into this idea of being a new district, of thriving. It's committed to. And commitment to, typically, there's pain involved, right? Yeah. Whether it's sacrifice of something or, or doing something different or involve, evolving. So it's uh, we, don't, we don't stress too much about buy-in. Buy-in's pretty easy. 
um, it's committed to what we're doing. This tough. Yeah, I work in the automotive aftermarket space where it's the people that manufacture the parts that actually are at AutoZone and then the technicians that they service that actually install the part. And, you know, there's a technician shortage and, you know, within any of the trades, there's that. And uh, I just left a conference in, uh, we were down in Austin, Texas, and I had the privilege of being there with John Deere and their innovation hub team that they just opened an amazing building down there and they were talking about how they have over the years and generations transformed from a, a plow company to a tractor company and now they said it we're a tech company and that, and that's groundbreaking but they had to um just like many others it was kind of the right i i'm a, i like to transition it to you know as a coach i can get my team to buy in and they love the dugout and the way we coach and in the m mindset of fail forward and all those things but when you're not winning the ride home <laughs> right the ride home and that fostering that communication relationship with the parents to let them know that they are a part of this and I, i've just seen that it's where we get the students right and we get the teachers, but then that ride home, there's that, that lack of communication. And if you bring them in, even with the teams, get the teams bought in early, and it's just not the end result, the student or the teacher, it's the whole, um, much more success. And John Deere did a great job of talking about how, you know, in AI, going to the farmer and then using that one farmer because everybody else just came and watched the show. And they're like, no, 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 don't stand out there on the periphery and watch this. Like, come yeah. in and experience it with us. Like, you want to have straight rows. Like, this is how you have straight rows. You want to, like, spot fertilize, like, just the ones that really need it. We have that technology. And come in and watch it. So don't sit on the periphery and watch it from the stands or behind the fence. Come in and join the community. And these little pockets just started to pop. And you know the storytelling that they used from that um you have any uh case studies or examples of that yeah life studies yeah um, <laughs> right that george can write it into a case study or something sometime but but you know it, it's interesting right when i was to age myself i can remember the day when columbine happened and was a teacher in the classroom and boy did school change Right. We we mm -hmm. we put up and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have. Right. And school safety is is by far paramount to everything we do is keeping kids and staff safe. But a real not only was it tragic, another tragic loss from that is we kept community and families. We literally put up physical barriers to say you're not coming in here. Right. And I and I get the reason why with the safety. So, you know, to your point, I love the John Deere example of we, we've got to find a way to get the community and not just the parents, but also in rural world, the churches, yeah. the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, those things to realize you're welcome here. Yeah. You know, we want you in. And, and what's been really amazing at that is in school world, it, that's been a scary invite, right? That, whoa, we've spent, for some teachers, an entire career of not having anyone from the community in their buildings. And now through safety checks and some other things, we're letting these people back in. And getting everyone to understand they're not here to look for anything bad. They're here to experience the great of what's going on. So guess what they do? They come back out and say, 
hey, the school's not what we've been hearing mm -hmm. it is. There, yeah. there are some amazing things going on, teachers going on. So, yeah, to, to John Deere's point of we've got to let people experience school. Yeah, yeah, that engagement. Because I have a son, he's finishing up kindergarten in a couple of weeks, and it's always engage. you know, you have that fun because you're engaging with what right. he's learning in. We're sitting down after he gets home from school, or I get home and we're doing something to engage in the learning process of what he's doing and just and going to school, like you said, and seeing what he's doing. Having that engagement, I know as they get older, they probably don't care anymore, but I'm enjoying it right now. Yeah, enjoy every <laughs> second. Enjoy, enjoy every minute. It, it's really amazing just in one generation from myself to my kids, the things that schools offer nowadays. Yeah. And I think a lot of the public has no idea what, what is really available to their kids uh, through the school districts. I mean... Uh, you know, when my daughter was going, she was taking equine science classes in high school. And I was like, really? Yeah. Uh, so I, that's the, the one thing a lot of the communities don't necessarily uh, get is how much opportunity there is in the school district. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting, right? In, in school world, it's a, it's a shared experience all of us have. We've all been students. We've all experienced school. So a lot of people base their own, which I get it, they base their own personal experience with school as, as an umbrella, this is what school must be like, based on what I experienced personally. And, and George, you bring a great point. My goodness, the opportunities that are here now for kids, and a lot of that has to do with our embracing and using it right, of technology, of really, you know, our focus of, you know, the end result of getting that high school diploma for decades, if not for over a century, was, okay, to be successful, you got to take that high school diploma mm -hmm. and now go to a four-year university. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you gauge success. And for a lot of kids, that's wonderful if that's their career path and, and they need that to follow their career. Here's what's really interesting. In the last few years, that, that evolving of CTE world and evolving that kids that want to go that career or technical path, that doesn't mean nothing against this. That doesn't mean you're going into cosmetology or body shop, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Now, like just at Mitchell, you know, we're starting next year just two new pathways is digital manufacturing within our winter school, which we'll have a complete setup. We, we've got rid of the old shop area to where for generations everyone was building the exact same mm -hmm. birdhouse or, <laughs> mm -hmm. or and there's yard sales. You can go to any yard sale in Mitchell and buy umpteen of the same exact uh, bookshelves <laughs> or birdhouses. To where kids have hands-on experience with digital manufacturing. You know, we, we also look at where, what is industry telling us? What is industry saying? And, and we don't want kids to graduate school with a job. We want them with a career, right? Because there's two, we talk to Mitchell all the time, that's two very different definitions of job and career. A job typically means you're barely getting by. It's hard to raise a family on a job. A career means opportunity. A career typically means more salary. A career means having the means with benefits and other things to raise a family. And the thing with maybe more specific to rural, most of our graduates end up living within about a 10-mile radius of the stage they walked across from where they received their diploma, right? The ones that don't, oftentimes it's that, it's that rural migration, right? Those kids that had the opportunity to go away to college, and because the opportunities weren't there in their hometown, they never came back. Yeah. So then it's, it's just sip, it's cyclical of jobs instead of careers. And the, the really cool thing about, I think, what the school's doing to revitalize Mitchell is we've got the opportunity. And what we found, you know, we talked brand loyalty earlier. In our research, what we've also found, industry's typically not real brand loyal to a community either. 
they're going to move to what makes better sense for them. And I think an example of that, we can go through many, many rural communities and see empty factories, see yeah. empty shells of, you know, in Mitchell, for example, we were the leader in, in manufacturing carpenter buses. Was, was Mitchell was the place for carpenter buses, and everyone worked at Carpenter, and then all of a sudden, guess yeah. what? Carpenter left, and no other big industry came in to fill that that building. I would argue part of that is we weren't watching what Mitchell needed to evolve to to attract those careers, to attract those business. So I think we're finally getting that. I think we got a long way to go, but we're, we're moving. So how, when you talk about the word community, mm-hmm. um, growing up and graduating from Mount Vernon High School, I know that there was a lot of community partners there, and, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be in digital publishing and that journey that I talked about to go to architecture without like community partners, because at Mount Vernon, when I was there, we had two CAD labs, and that was kind of unheard of, but yeah. GE was sending their trades, their drafters there at night to use the facility as a, as a co-space, co-work space in education, and we had a teacher that actually taught us drafting not only on the tabletop, but actually we had our junior and senior year all out AutoCAD yeah, and was able to go and make the gear and then get into house, you know, build a, design a home and whatever that looked like. But then we also had desktop publishing and a lot of the Microsoft Excels, DBase, Lotus that actually introduced all those things and had access to that at an early age. I don't think as a district you know, Mount Vernon could have afforded that, but how, um, I know there was some partnerships there. How important are community partners? Uh, Vital. Um, Not just your immediate community, what geographically located you, but, um, you know, I think those partnerships, especially in industry, um, you know, we, we have many things to be proud of. One of the things as a district, we have looked at partnerships very differently, right? And I think Mitchell was like most schools to where in the education world, you would take any partner that you could get because there just weren't partners out there. And sometimes, I don't know if those partnerships were tremendously beneficial to either or. Yeah, you just need a launch and... Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. There, there, was no, there was no win-win. So we made a conscious decision to, to really focus on partnerships, but all of our partnerships had to be a win-win. A 50-50. You know, we, yeah. we didn't want to just be one-sided on the winning because we felt like that strengths and that, that increases the longevity of a partnership. So whether we're talking Indiana University proper out of Bloomington um, with some of our program, Ivy Tech, but then our industry partnerships have really grown too. And I, and I think one of, the, one of the commitments or the buy-in was easy, right, with industry. It's getting them committed too is letting them know we've both been in error here, right? We K-12's not listened to what industry's been saying. In industry, you've not really been involved loud enough to tell <laughs> us what you needed, right? I, I remember a life-changing moment was I was at an IU basketball game, and a guy came and sat next to me, and he was a talker, which which I don't know that I really liked that at an IU basketball game, but <laughs> it was a great discussion. And long story short, this gentleman, graduate from IU, he had opened a series of, of very successful restaurants in the Indianapolis area. Mm-hmm. And then he said, but I don't do that anymore. I had to close them down. He looked at me and he said, because he knew I was in education, he goes, and really it's your fault. And I was like, whoa. And he said, he said, the reason being, for decades, you were selling us a false bill of good. I would get these applicants with these amazing numbers and the amazing accomplishments, but when, once they got into the work setting, they didn't know how to problem solve. They thought, and I remember one phrase he said, he goes, they thought being on time was a suggestion instead of a requirement, for example. That conversation really affected how we changed everything. 
in terms of, and we, there's different phrases, right? What do they call them? Soft skills, work skills. I call them life success skills, right? You can't start teaching those freshman year of high school. Nothing magical happens in that summer between eighth grade. It yeah. starts appropriately, developmentally. It starts at kindergarten. You know, it's, it, start, it starts developmentally. We got to hit those stages correctly. So it kind of got yeah. off on a tangent. I no, apologize, but no, but it's the same. I was just thinking about that, like in rural, because we work with some a lot of rural communities, and the one thing is the leadership of the community thinking different. Like you said, it used to be go get the big manufacturing giant and bring Toyota or whoever to town, bring all these jobs. Now it's hey, why don't we have co-working or tech lab or whatever it might be, whether it's in school or its own facility, that that person might develop in a business that creates a thousand jobs in the community as opposed to just trying to find, and then they're going to have that loyalty to the community. Yeah, and, and two, as, as we talked with industry, right, and even had a lot of talks with IU and Ivy Tech and some others, right, you, you keep on that sports analogy, you know, you people can say, well, the Yankees and the Dodgers and those big market teams, they just buy the players. <laughs> to some degree, that's true. Look at their farm system. Mm -hmm. Their farm systems are better than anybody else's. They put high priority. And I said, you know, industry, you got to start looking at K-12 as your farm system, right? You've got to start early in A ball or double A ball yeah. to get to start building those players. And, and a prime example is, you know, through Mitchell and our partnerships with Orleans and Shoals School Corporation. You know, we, we've got a really unique partnership there with, with Cosmos. But, like, for example, if we've got kids that think, hey, nursing may be a career I want to go into. We decided let's give them real-world experience partnering with hospitals, partnering with nursing homes, partnering with universities, that this is literally just a first step in that, that path. And, and uh, I, was, I get the joy of every Friday our kids go to another school to take the on-class, the lab time from a, from a nursing instructor. And I picked up a kid on a Friday, and he was so excited. He, uh, he got to witness a certain procedure, an appendectomy. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, Dr. Comer, I'm so excited. I got to see that, and I, I know nursing is what I want to do. And he said, I'm so excited. Next week, I get to observe a C-section. And he said, I'm really thinking that, that that may be the area of nursing I want to go into. So I said, great. So I show up. I don't talk to the kid for a week. I show up a week later. He gets on the short white bus, and I'm driving. And the other kids get on. They're laughing. And he gets on, I mean, as pale as this table. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, bud. I said, and I knew I was. I said, how was today's experience? And he sat in the front seat, and he said, Dr. Comer, that was the greatest experience of my life. I now know what I do not want to do <laughs> in, in, in nursing. I, I'm going to go another path in nursing. And we joke yeah. about that, but that was a tremendously valuable mm -hmm. gift that that kid got through our partnerships. He could have spent an enormous amount of money. He could have yeah. wasted a lot of time in a specific nursing trajectory and realized I'm not cut out. for the, Now, it did not end his dream of being in nursing. It just helped him focus on another path. So, yeah. And we wouldn't have been able to do that without some really terrific partnerships. Yeah, and we have the, as a architects, we have the opposite, you know, because we're always looking, talking at this high level. How do we get more women in architecture, more minorities, more this? And it's like, oh, you're way too late. You need to be down here. Oh, absolutely. And, and showing kids what architecture is about in school, telling them, getting to them in school so they go to school for architecture. It's too late once everybody's graduated and has careers. Yeah. Way too late. Yeah. And and I was one of those in <laughs> high school. The guidance counselor had no idea about architecture, only knew engineering. I said, I want to be an architect. They're like, you can't do that. Because they were thinking engineer yeah. and not architect because they had no idea what it was. So. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I think, too, along to finish this topic, right, I, I think we're in a really interesting stage right now in, in public education. 
we use this phrase in Mitchell all the time about NASCARing up, right? We want yeah. we want good sponsorship. We want and mm-hmm. we need to show even within our K twelve physical setting, you know whether it's it's Cook or whether it's Boston Scientific or hopefully VPS or whatever that that they're there as as the farm league system, right? They're there to promote not only what we're doing for all kids but also we want it to be a win win partnership. Right. We want you to find your next generation of architect in this setting. We want you to find them in Mitchell, but you can't wait until they're getting ready to walk across the stage <laughs> at Ball State, or I don't know if there's even a better school for our So, <laughs> so talking about the NASCAR and the, the, the brand up and the, the sponsorship there, um, I understand that innovation continues at Mitchell, and you have a, a pretty extraordinary eSports program. Esports is maybe one of the best things that I've done in my career. Okay, was esports and and kind of a, a boring journey to that. I had a bunch of my uh, IT guys come to me about three years ago and say, "Hey, I think we we want to start an esports team." And I said, "What is that?" And they said, "Oh, it's competitive video gaming." Well, I, my only reference to what I watched my son growing up in my house, and my answer was, "You are out of your mind. There is no way." <laughs> We are going to do that. And they're like, no, no, no. So they spent a good six months convincing me that, like, this is a real thing. This yeah. is a, a big deal. And they went out and I said, okay, we'll find a way to fund it. Well, they went out and NASCAR up and found the funding. And then we had some great partners that we'd already had great partnerships with say, hey, we see some, see some worth in this. We want to help kids, too, because inadvertently what we found was when we sent the call out for eSports, right, and we put a priority on that of being very, very important, and my, I had some conditions with these sports. If you're telling me they're athletes in a new way we define athletes, they're going to follow the athletic code, which means mm-hmm. behavior matters, attendance matters, grades matter, right? Well, what we found out was we have a waiting list to get on eSports. And the really cool thing was in that first group of eSports kids, we had a core group of competitors on that team that were not on track to graduate. They were absolutely, by definition, we were going to lose these young people. Mm-hmm. mainly because they didn't feel like anything with school fit them. There wasn't an athletic program that fit them. There wasn't a, a fine arts program that fit them or an ECA. But they got the video gaming, right? And two, what, what I didn't know at the time, eSports has a sanctioning body just like IHSAA. Mm-hmm. And and it is extremely monitored because my fear from having to have talks with my own son when he was playing with his buddies when dad he didn't know dad was listening was the, <laughs> was the intensity Yes. That they played those games, and oh, yeah. I'm going to use a nice word there, the intensity, intensity. That, that we were not going to have that be part of us. Passion. Mitchell's, pa- there, that, very passionate, <laughs> sir. Extremely, overly passionate at, at times. Um, the, the, the cool thing about that, and, and I can't thank George enough and VPS, they saw the worth in that, and they saw that this was helping a group of kids. If nothing else, it was giving them a reason to be in school. And, and we had some kids, it was so amazing. I got, I got calls from parents about, like, I can't believe this, my kid now wants to go to school. My kid feels a part. And it was so funny. We had a pep session. And the high school principal at the time, it was a seasonal pep session, you know. And he's decided, hey, I want to recognize the esports kids because they, in our first year, we were second in the state. Mm-hmm. Rural kids, we beat Carmel. We beat big schools out of Fort Wayne. We beat, it leveled the playing field. No more of this because we're Mitchell. We right. can't compete yeah. and be successful at a high level. But they had a pep session, and they decided to recognize those guys and gals on the esports team. And they begrudgingly came out onto the floor, and they were the hit of the school. The school erupted. They became instant celebrities and finally went from my experience of being that ninja-like invisible kid 
that walked to school, these kids now were in the spotlight. Yeah. And so many parents and kids said, I can't believe my kid is actually finding worth and actually finding school as a place for them. And, and that eSports has launched us. You know, we, we got in plans and even with the design of our new facilities, our design of the new facilities is to offer more opportunities for kids. And maybe what many would say is untraditional, like we're kind of late getting on the bandwagon for this, but our new facility is designed to have archery, you know, mm -hmm. archery in schools. That's, that's going to hit a group of kids that traditionally aren't a lot of things. It started this year, we, our new, you know, we added eSports. Now we have bass fishing. We have an official bass fishing club. Yeah. Guess what? The kids in that bass fishing club traditionally were in nothing else. And we talk, we go back to community. Those group of guys and gals that want to support archery in schools and bass fishing, typically they didn't feel like they fit into what the school was doing either. Yeah, they were the, going that oh, way. Oh, they are the greatest group of volunteers. They, they are, with the bass fishing, my goodness, between bass fishing clubs and older people in the community that want to help promote that sport and keep it going, they volunteer their time, they volunteer their boats, they volunteer, can we sponsor a kid? Can we do whatever? It's just, it's been incredible. And, it, and in those types of programs, I mean, giving them the opportunity where they maybe didn't feel like they fit in somewhere, um, it's amazing to see those kids, how they transform and they oh. just light up. I mean, they, they just uh, become, those are some great programs. Well, and it's, George, right, it's, it's as simple as, and I don't know why we continue to forget this in K-12. Success breeds success. Mm -hmm. Failure does the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if a student or a human being... All they know is failure. Failure, traditionally, you're self-writing your prophecy. But guess what? Once you taste success in one area, what we found with those kids in eSports, for a prime example, not only did the success they found in eSports, guess what? They realized, I can be successful other places. I can be So with that group of kids, no attendance issues. Discipline issues stopped. Grades went through the roof. Because we also had coaches that said, hey, listen, you're, you're a student athlete. You're not an mm -hmm. e-sporter just coming mm -hmm. to the school. You've got to be the student first before you even have the opportunity to do these things. So it's, it's been literally life-changing for a lot of our kids. Well, we are 54 minutes into this podcast. and um, I'm going to go to the begin with the end in mind and actually maybe reverse that. So, Dr. Comer, uh, one of the words that we've used in here uh, probably 40 times by now, is the word experience. What does the word experience mean to you? Experience means I've just had a lot of opportunities to fail. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely. And, and with that failure part, I'm so blessed with the experiences I've had. I'm so blessed that I've been, that that growing up where failure was just the next step and not an option. And, and, and part of it, too, was failures. Man, I wouldn't be doing, Mitchell wouldn't be doing if Brent Comer hadn't experienced lots of failures before and and more to come and i know that right i know there's going to be more failures to come to but i, I was going to say i was going i see also with that but it was the persistent not to give up yeah and i think so much you know especially when i talk about careers like don't give up until you figure out what your purpose is and, and we don't let kids uh give up yeah it's a process yeah the there was a gentleman that has a $12.6 billion uh, conglomerate in the auto parts industry, and he talked about a uh, as a high school student, his job was at uh, Men's Warehouse. And um, there was a night where the uh, manager that was a mentor to him through and through, um, had he got tired one night, 
and the doors were supposed to close at like 9.45. Well, he wanted to close the doors at 9.45 because at 10 o'clock he had something he needed to do. For the first time ever, he had seen his, uh, his mentor do that. And, and all of a sudden, this one lady comes in. And then he doesn't know it. His mentor doesn't know it. He escorts her in, asks her where she wants to go. And she goes back and kind of disappears in the back corner and begins shopping. Well, then all of a sudden, his mentor starts yelling, like, hey, lock the door, pull the gate. What are you doing? What are you doing? We got things to do. We got things to do. And then um, all of a sudden, the late, you know, after about five, six minutes of hearing this, the lady just pops up back there and goes, hey, if you don't want my business, I'm out of here. And he's like, oh, no. She's like, no, it's too late. And she starts to walk out, and here comes another lady in the parking lot. And he's like, He's a district manager, and he's going. He could just see his kind of his numbers were already starting to plummet in mm-hmm. in the community, and he could start to see like. And as soon as she hits the door and sees the other lady, nope, they don't want your business. Get out of here! And he was like, he turned around to him and he said, um, "Okay, let's close up." And the next morning, he came in. And he said, "You know, that was a life lesson in that never get tired." He said. Last night, I was tired. I had things to do. I had places to go. This job, our numbers have been tanking and lots of pressures on me. And he said, last night I got tired, and it's going to cost me in mm-hmm. numbers for the next six months mm-hmm. because those two will multiply to four and then 16, and then I will continue because one night I got tired. Mm-hmm. He said, never get tired. I thought that was a great. That's awesome. It, when, it, when you talk about relationship and and uh, brand advocacy. If somebody's walking in at 9.55 and you close, if you don't serve them, it's going to serve you in another way. Yeah, for sure. Never get tired. Thought I'd share that. Mike, you have a, you had a couple questions that you always ask, but I, I think Mitchell Community Schools uh, makes Dr. Comer emotional. Yeah. When he's in that I was going to say, it sounds like passion. Can you tell? Sorry. (laughs) That special place, right? Yeah. It's here. That's your passion. Yeah, Yeah. it is, definitely. All right. You want to do that? Oh, yeah. Um, We always have the pod decks. We we have a, it found us on social (laughs) media. The algorithm pulled it right out of there and said, you need this. And we bought it. Ooh, good one. <laughs> so what do i value most in friends uh i think as i get older i think that values change so the thing i value most about friends is is uh i'm kind of back to partnerships actually is uh, my closest of friends and, and the newer friends i make as i get older how are they going to make me better and how am i going to make them better you know, I want, I want that feeling of partnership to where they, they expect me to push them and expect me to introduce new things to make them think a little differently, and I expect the same from them. I want, I want, to, I want friends that help me evolve. Awesome. Great. Mike, you have one? Yeah, mine was always, my closest friends just, I don't, it's not loyalty, but you're just, you're just friends no matter what. You can, no matter what you do in your life, where you go, you're always friends, and they're always there for each other, like a partnership. Yeah. You know. I want friends who uh, will tell me when I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm oh. looking for. 
Oh, well. Sean, that we, we got him now. It's recorded. <laughs> hey, that's it's fine. Like uh, as I tell my my team, uh, we'll have shirts made before the end of the season. It's it's uh, biblical, but it is uh, iron sharpens iron mm-hmm. as one man sharpens another, or one woman sharpens another. Um, you have to have those hard conversations. Everything can't be you know rosebuds and rainbows all the time there's there's that failure that needs to be exposed it's a growth opportunity and if you don't have that and you don't show up in that moment for me um that's the most difficult um and it's hard to really wear the friend label if uh we're not sharpening one another and um use that at grandma's uh eulogy the other day just uh let i mean very much um, show up not only in good times but show up in bad times as well and we'll all get all we'll all get through it i think that's a different definition and honesty uh you know what i value most in friends sounds like uh, consistency across the board there show up good and bad but all right, we are at one hour and one minute of At 530 on Main podcast brought to you by VPS Architecture and Extend Group. Uh, you can find this podcast at vpsarc.com and extendgroup.com. There's a little, or I say not a little icon, it's a big icon in the bottom right of both websites. It'll take you to the recorded versions on the website and... Uh, we'll also link you to all the other streaming channels that Extend Group, the team here, the group. Uh, make sure that we're out on. I don't think there's a streaming service. Uh, one of any of the big ones, or even the mid-level, or even some of the the entry-level players in the streaming podcast game here that uh, we're not uh, attached to. So they do a great job of that, and want to celebrate them. Um, Dr. Comer, uh, how does the at 530 on main listener connect with you if they'd like to continue this conversation um on twitter at, at dr brank homer also uh on the school social media which you can find all that on the uh, mitchell website which is mitchell.k12.in.us well thank you so much for your intentional time with us today together uh, i've really enjoyed this conversation mike george is always uh, great partners uh in business in the community friends uh thank you for showing up and being here today thank you thank thank you yeah thank you any final words before we wrap at five thirty on main no we're good okay. all right listeners once again it's uh, at 5.30 on Main, brought to you by VPS Architecture and Extend Group. Don't forget to like, share this podcast with all your friends. Text them and say, hey, I just learned a, a valuable uh, uh, bit of insight here on this. I think this might be of value to you. Uh, put it out on Twitter. Put it out on Facebook. Put it out on, I don't know, make a TikTok about it if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> now you can take the audio and put video, put it under the video and, you know, I don't know. Make a meme out of it. Let's see how that goes. Uh, let's go viral together. At 530 on Main until next time. Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of At 530 on Main, hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. 
And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word. Share us on your social channels. Message a friend. Rate the podcast. Without you, this experience would not be possible.